Hi, I'm Chuck Quinley, and welcome to Thread, episode 126. Thread, God's truth tying together all the pieces of your life. Thread is the broadcast of Dr. Chuck Quinley. Thread. Welcome to Thread, the leader's Bible study. Thread is a verse-by-verse study of the teachings of Jesus and the life of the New Testament church, and we're looking for lessons that we can apply especially to our lives as leaders and as those who want to become more influential in the lives of others. Today's lesson is about an occupational hazard that is especially dangerous to those who serve in roles that are very public. Uh, Every career has its own set of inherent dangers. I was amazed to learn, for example, that fry cooks have a very short life expectancy. There's something about that environment that's really not healthy. Well, as Christians, we have standards that are higher than those of the surrounding culture for our lifestyle and our ethics and our morals. And on top of that, some branches of Christianity are just especially strict. And these faith cultures have lots of rules and an atmosphere that can tend toward being judgmental about the lifestyle of others. Now, I was raised in the holiness tradition, and man, we had rules about everything. We had rules about how long women's hair had to be, rules about alcohol and tobacco and cussing and gambling and wearing jewelry and watching movies and et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. So whether your church culture was this strict or not, there has always been a tendency to engage in in forms of posturing in front of the people for those who are in leadership, trying to be seen as especially pious and good and holy. And, uh, you know, it's a difficult situation because the New Testament does require leaders to live a life that is an example of the things we preach and believe. But when you live your life with your mind constantly occupied by worry regarding what others will think about you if you do this or that, you know, you fall into a form of bondage that so many people in public positions really struggle with, whether it's in ministry or it's just in jobs that are very, that are very public, um, you know, leadership level roles. It can cripple your family. If your family's in ministry and you keep this pressure and you share it from yourself and push it on to them, uh, a lot of times children of ministers, they feel pressured to live in a showcase family and they really learn to hate the church and it's unnecessary. But that's the situation that we're in today and it's something that we have to overcome. But it's also a situation that the Apostle Paul had to deal with. Today we're in Acts chapter 21 verses 15 through 26, and here Paul has to deal with being judged by others. And he also gets tangled up with one leader in particular who pressures him in a way that he may never have faced before as a Christian leader. So let's dig in. Actually, I want to read the passage to you. Uh, It's not that long. Acts 21, 15 through 26. Here we go. And after those days... We packed and went up to Jerusalem. Also, some of the disciples from Caesarea went with us and brought with them a certain Nason from Cyprus, an early disciple with whom we were to lodge. And when we had come to Jerusalem, 
the brethren received us gladly. And on the following day, Paul went in with us to James, and all the elders were present. And when he had greeted them, he told in detail those things which God had done among the Gentiles through his ministry. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And they said to him, You see, brother, how many myriads of Jews there are who have believed, and they are all zealous for the law. But they've been informed about you that you teach all the Jews who are among the Gentiles to forsake Moses, saying that they ought not to circumcise their children or to walk according to the customs. What then? The the assembly must certainly meet, for they will hear that you have come. Therefore, do what we tell you. We have four men who have taken a vow. Take them and be purified with them and pay their expenses so they may shave their heads and that all may know that those things which they were informed concerning you are nothing but that you yourself also walk orderly and keep the law. But concerning the Gentiles who believe, we have written and decided that they should observe no such thing except that they should keep themselves from things offered to idols, from blood, from things strangled, and from sexual immorality. Then Paul took them in, and the next day, having been purified with them, he entered the temple to announce the expiration of the days of purification, at which time an offering should be made for each one of them. All right, let's uh, dig through this now a verse, verse at a time. Let me start with a question. Have you ever felt pressured by someone to do something that it wasn't wrong, it just wasn't natural to you? It just wasn't something you would have done, not not something, especially something in public, that you just would never do that. Have you ever felt pressured in this way and you realized that this person was somehow doing it for their own benefit, but maybe because you were on their turf and you have to be especially courteous, and so it could be even more difficult to extricate yourself from that situation or even to figure out what your response should be. You know, sometimes we can be pressured to go against our principles, even though we're not being pressured to actually do an evil thing. And I think it's, this is one of those situations that we're, we're, t- we're going to run upon in Scripture this time in Thread. So in verses 15 through 19, let me just summarize. Upon returning to Jerusalem, his hometown, Paul and his friends go to have fellowship with the core leadership of the Jerusalem church, which is now led by James, the half-brother of Jesus. And to this group, Paul testifies about the tremendous harvest that he and the others have experienced with Gentile people and how hungry they are for the gospel. You can tell Paul wants them to catch a vision for world missions. He wants them to see all the need that is out there in, in the nations of the world and that they will they'll get energized to go be part of the Great Commission and they will start to care about the nations of the world. Well, he, he gets to tell his stories and verse 20 says they listened and that they even praise the Lord for this tremendous harvest. You know, so far so good. But then everything changes. James launches into this prepared speech, 
and it becomes apparent that the Jerusalem group has had a meeting before this fellowship meeting and that they already have this private agenda that they want to push, which has nothing to do with why they thought they were invited to sit and have fellowship together. Now, when you're listening to James' words, we're in verse 20, verse 21, when you listen to his words, you have to wonder if he was even listening to Paul or if he was just waiting for him to stop talking so he could jump in and and launch his own agenda. Now, as we look at this meeting, we realize that none of the original apostles are said to be at this meeting. They were probably scattered around the world by now reaching out. So the Jerusalem group misses out on the broader perspective that they would certainly have brought to it if they had been able to be there. Let me just paraphrase James's speech. Gentiles, yes, that's all well and good, but let's talk about Jews. Yes, Jews are very zealous for the law of Moses, even those who are following Jesus, because that's really the only thing that James wants to talk to Paul about. He doesn't want to talk about ways for the Jerusalem church to become part of Gentile outreach, ways they can support that whole, Paul and his whole ministry team and other teams like him, you know, what can we do to help? They don't ask any of that. This is the, you know, they are very tightly culturally blinded and focused. This is the only issue on the agenda for them. In verses 21 and 22, they say, basically, the local Jewish Christians have been told that you, Paul, are teaching Jews who live in Gentile areas not to bother with circumcision or the other Jewish customs once they believe in Jesus. And these people are going to want to have a meeting, and this is a dangerous situation. So we have to make them know, and this is in verse 24, that you yourself, Paul, are fundamentalist and you are still keeping the Jewish law. And they propose a seven-day publicity event at the temple. Now, I've been a leader for as long as some of my listeners have been alive. You know, I've been a leader for about 30 years in the body of Christ, and I understand the situation, all the different situations that we get into. And I know that leaders have to carefully preserve unity in their group and that, you know, the devil never gives you a break. Plus, people are just people, and it's work to preserve unity so I can... I don't want to be too hard on James, although I'm going to be a little bit, a little bit critical of his behavior throughout this passage. Um, I understand the perspective of a person who wants to keep their group pacified and quiet, and you think of that as united, but it isn't necessarily unity at all. Uh, if we're not careful, we're going to develop just a politician's mindset always tuned in to pleasing the crowd, never disturbing them, just talking about the kind of things they already believe in, never challenging them to think about the inconsistencies in their theology or in their life or, or confronting their racial prejudices or their political prejudices. You know, don't provoke them. Let's just keep them quiet. And this was the exact mindset that Jesus encountered when he dealt with the scribes and Pharisees and the priests in his day. They were traditional people with political minds 
whose only fear was displeasing the multitude. And sadly, these Jerusalem church leaders are manifesting the same mindset as the Jewish leaders before them who had opposed them and Jesus himself and who had pushed back on all the changes that Christ had advocated for Jewish people. These church leaders, as you just read the passage, you'll see they're doing it so openly that it's easy to see it. But we have to be careful in pointing out their flaws because while it's simple to see this fault in other people, we may completely miss it when this exact same thing is in ourself. Basically, we can fall into living for God so others can see how much we are living for God and think well of us for it. Play acting. You know, there's just so many, honestly, deep, dark secrets within church organizations. I won't go into them. It's just too sad to ponder, and we don't need any more digging into that. We all know about it. But it comes from trying to uphold this perfect image of being the people who have it all together and being the people who are the holy ones and the right ones. Jesus never allowed his mind to be ruled by the fear of man. He called the Jewish leaders hypocrites. Now, in his day, in our day, that word's very clear. You know, we use it all the time. Even people that are not religious use that word. But in Christ's day, the word meant play actors, dramatists, public actors, those who put on a performance in order to receive rewards, pretty much immediate rewards. It's the applause from the impressed audience, or it's an elevated place of estimation. Oh, wow, he's an actor. You know, an elevated place of estimation in the minds of others beyond what is really the truth about us, or the reward of, of course, money. And in Matthew's gospel, actually all the gospels, there's a record of these lengthy tirades when Christ just, as John the Baptist said, takes an axe and just starts chopping on the root of that exact tree. You know, Paul had also, he had never lived the life of a hypocrite either, and he called people out for it. He was a lightning rod for conflict because look at Paul's life. You know, you, a lot of people beat up on Paul because of different things he says, but, I mean, look at the consistency in this man's life. He lived according to his convictions, and he died according to his convictions, regardless of whether it was a popular conviction, whether his actions were popular, or whether they were not popular. And that's, that's a great sign. I mean, that's something that we need to emulate. But in this circumstance, Paul is in a very awkward situation. He's in someone else's house, and he wants unity in the body of Christ, and he's brought all these Gentiles, and one of them, Trophimus, is with him, and, and others are mentioned. And these Gentiles have come with him to represent the thousands of other Gentiles whom he desires to see fully grafted into Christianity whose root was Jewish. And Paul knows also that his relationship with James is really not that good. And so he's doing what he can to accommodate James and his group. And all of us have to learn how to pick our battles. And sometimes, man, Paul fights to the death. But in this case, he goes along with James because on the surface, 
James is only asking him to do a religious ritual of purification in the temple. That was his practice anyway as a Jew. You know, Paul did not cease to be a Jew because he became a Christian. But anyway, this is another discussion. The problem here is not the thing he was asked to do. The problem is the motivation. James asks Paul to do a sacred action in order to be seen doing it by other people. This thing he was doing was a Jewish devotional practice, and as I said, it was part of Paul's life too. But the purpose of this action in this case was being perverted. It was no longer being done before God. It was being intentionally done before man to be seen and used to position Paul and James politically in front of the traditionalist constituency that James represented. This was his power base, and he was having Paul do something in public just for that. It's the motivation. That's the issue. You know, Paul actually calls James and his group the party of James, and I can guarantee you it wasn't much of a party. I mean, it was, he meant it as a political party. Uh, but here's one of the ironies of church politics. When you start doing God's work and when you start living your own life to be seen as spiritual by other people, it creates a circumstance that expands with time like the universe, and you become trapped by it. Your fear of displeasing others multiplies because, you know, crowds are fickle, and your own popularity, no matter how hard you work at it, is going to come and go. James isn't just worried about how about Paul and how Paul is misunderstood by others. He also seems worried about how it might reflect on his own image as the leader of the Jerusalem church if he welcomes this radical and fellowships with him. Living to please other people makes you small. You'll have no impact because you don't take people anywhere. They take you. But if you live by convictions, oh, that makes you huge. You become a symbol to others, and all spiritual giants and all movement leaders are people who have been willing to suffer to maintain their convictions. They may not have always been popular in their lifetimes, but they are honored overall for their consistency and for standing for something more important than just popularity or comfort. So if you want to increase your stature as a leader, you have to learn to live by your convictions. Looking back at our, our passage again, verse 23 kind of summarizes it. Do what we tell you. And that's how they're used to operating. Now, on a side note, this is kind of off track, but it is in the text, and I try to go verse by verse. In verse 25, James restates his position toward Gentiles who have faith in Jesus. He lists, I find it curious, he lists purely external things, things about food they can eat, and things about avoiding sexual immorality. He seems to believe that there are two systems that operate. One is a Jewish system, and the other one is a Gentile system. And this matter has already been discussed with the apostles in the Jerusalem church. In Acts 15, verse 11, Simon Peter himself clearly broke down this middle wall, two systems concept, and he asserted, quote, but we believe that through the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, we shall be saved in the same manner 
as they, the Gentiles. Uh, so Peter put the flag in the ground very clearly. There is one salvation system for Jews and for Gentiles. We are all saved by grace through faith. Um, and James, sadly, in history will be left behind. He'll live his whole life in Jerusalem while the gospel spreads from nation to nation around the world. Now, in our next episode of Thread, we're going to see the disaster that occurs when Paul goes into the temple for this seven-day ritual purification as instructed by James. And we're also going to note, well, I won't even have to say it next week because I'm going to say it this week. When the violent crisis erupts, James and his leadership circle will remain quietly on the sidelines while Paul fights for his life completely alone. And that's food for thought. So choose your friends and alliances wisely. Love everybody, but when you feel pressured by somebody to do something that doesn't exactly seem kosher, um, be careful uh, and, and choose your, you know, make your own decision, but make it with a lot of circumspection. Well, if you're enjoying the Thread Podcast, please share about it on your social network. And would you visit iTunes? You can just search for Thread with Chuck Quinley. Leave us a comment and a rating, and Apple will elevate the show, and others will be able to find it. Also, if you haven't already done so, please visit the new MediaLightOnline.com website and take advantage of 100 short training videos that will build you up as a messenger for God. That's all for this episode. Expect God to use you today. See you next time on Thread.